You're listening to County Conversations, a podcast brought to you by the New York State Association of Counties. I'm Tom Oldfather, NYSAC Communications Manager, and I'm joined by Ryan Gregoire, NYSAC Legislative Director. Thanks for having me on the show today, Tom. Today we're going to check in on one of the biggest issues facing counties in this year's budget, and that is the governor's proposal to shift $625 million in Medicaid costs onto counties by ending the sharing of federal EFMAP payments. As you may know, the governor's budget sent shockwaves through local governments when it was released, and we learned that it planned to halt this long-standing practice of sharing federal Medicaid assistance known as EFMAP with counties. Now, we did a deep dive on this, on the issue of EFMAP in our last podcast, so if you haven't listened to that, go back and give it a listen to learn all there is to know about EFMAP and the history of Medicaid in New York State. It's a great episode. But for anybody who is unfamiliar with this issue, which hopefully isn't too many by this point. Ryan, can you give us just a brief overview of what was in the governor's budget? Yeah, sure, Tom. So as you noted, the governor's proposed budget includes a $625 million Medicaid cost shift, which impacts both the city of New York and the counties outside of the city of New York. And the budget does this by ending the longstanding practice of sharing EFMAP savings, again, with New York and New York City, that are provided by the Affordable Care Act. This funding, which is known as EFMAP, has been critical to counties' ability to hold property taxes in check by limiting that local financial burden of Medicaid. And that's an important note to make for our listeners. The state enacted a policy in 2015 to cap the local share of Medicaid costs because they understood the Medicaid program was growing at an unsustainable rate and we could not keep property taxes below, at that point in time, a new 2% property tax cap. So what did they do? They capped our Medicaid costs. This proposal effectively completely undermines that entire initiative. So that's really what's happening here. And, you know, the four-year cost of this to local taxpayers right, because the state budgets and puts out a, fin- a four-year financial plan, that impact is anywhere between 2 and, and $2.9 billion. So it's going to have a significant impact on county budgets, starting right away even. Yes, yeah, so this goes into effect on April 1st, or as soon as the budget is adopted, and the state has the ability to do this through administrative action. So that's a little bit uh, of a technical nuance, but they can they can start shifting this onto the counties in New York City as soon as the very next day after the budget is signed into law. Right. So, can you talk a little bit about what NYSAC has been doing since we learned of this proposal? It came out with the governor's budget almost a month ago. Our last podcast, we were just digesting what was in the proposal. But what's happened since then? Where are we at in the legislative process right now? Yeah, so the the governor released her budget on February 1st. We did not know that this was coming, so this caught us all a little bit off guard. Um, But we also understood that, you know, when when you have a Medicaid program that's growing at 6 to 8% on average, there's going to come a point in time where the state doesn't have the revenue (laughs) to to match the demand of expense, right? Um, Unfortunately, in this case, they've turned to the counties and the city to make themselves whole for this cost shift. Um, And and they're placing the burden really on property taxpayers and uh, counties for the services that we deliver. So what have we been doing? That was your question. Um, We've been engaging with the governor's office right out of the gate. 
We've had meetings with the budget director. We've had meeting with meetings with the governor's team to try and develop some kind of solution that we can all come to an agreement on to, to fix this cost shift so it's not impacting New Yorkers, right? I mean, the governor talks about wanting to make our state more affordable. She talks about wanting to make our state, um, you know, more equitable for people. And if we're going to be forced to raise property taxes or cut services or some combination of the two, then we're not making the state more equitable and we're certainly not making it more affordable. And the first opportunity to do that, the first chance that there is to change what's in the governor's budget proposal is something called the 20-day and then later the 30-day budget amendments? Yeah, so the governor has, in New York State, she has the ability to do either a 21-day or a 30-day budget amendment. She has the ability to completely change whatever she has laid out in her executive budget proposal. This year, like many years, uh, there wasn't a 21-day amendment. There was a 30-day amendment, which included a series of technical changes. Of course, we were hoping to see this reversed, but you know, I'm not surprised to see that. You know, really, the 31-day amendments were simple technical adjustments, errors that had been made. So the governor's office didn't address this in the 30-day amendments. So now the action moves to the legislature. That's right. So can you walk us through a little bit of what what's going to happen next, where the next milestones along the path towards a final budget, and what we're asking of our partners in the legislature as it relates to this proposal? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Tom. So in mid-March, both houses will release what's called their one-house budget proposal or resolution. And that will essentially outline the priorities of each chamber, the Assembly and the Senate, and what they want to see happen at the end of the day in the enacted budget, which is everyone knows uh, it, it's an outdated term now, but there was this term called three men in a room, which is when the leaders of the Assembly, the Senate, and the governor get together to hammer out uh, an enacted budget agreement. So, and that takes place at the end of March. So really between now and the end of March is critical for our members and for the state legislature, as you noted, it's pivoted from the governor to the state legislature to really engage on this issue and, and get this fixed. So we're asking the state legislature to reject this proposal in their one house budgets, which by the way, Tom, I, I wanna make sure everyone understands this. Governor Cuomo proposed almost an identical cost shift back in 2019. And for our listeners, you'll remember that the counties in NISAC, we were successful in rejecting that in the enacted budget. And, you know, I have to give thanks to our legislative partners in doing that. They were the ones who pushed back. So we're doing the same thing again this year. We're telling the senators, we're telling the assembly members, reject this cost shift. It does nothing to help the Medicaid program. It does nothing to help your local constituents whether they're receiving a county service or whether they're paying a county property tax or both, it hurts them. So flat out reject the proposal. And uh, that's what we're hoping to achieve in the one house budgets and in the enacted budget. And I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the last campaign that addressed this issue, which was called Keep the Cap. <laughs> sure, yes. And that was the, the campaign that we launched with our members to educate the legislature about the impact that this was going to have on counties and to try to get it removed from the budget. So this year, 
we have started a new campaign to address this issue, this address this issue, and it's called Cost Shift Countdown. That's right. So now we've come to the point in our discussion where we talk about how members can help, what we need our members to do to get engaged, and we've made this really easy. We've launched a new website called CostShiftCountdown.com, and it's going to help spread the word about this issue and provide our members with resources to help advocate on behalf of local taxpayers. So at the website, you can see exactly how long it is until this is going to happen. You know, it's, it's That's right. We got we, the clock. We call it the countdown. <laughs> and we got the clock. So you can see down to the second until midnight of March 31st, That's right. <laughs> April 1st, um, when this will uh, take effect. But more importantly, you can find talking points about this proposal to help you when you talk to state legislature, state legislators or the governor. We've got a sample resolution in case your county hasn't passed a resolution in opposition of this yet. We've got a sign-on letter where you can add your name uh, to our letter calling on the governor to reject this, any budget that includes this proposal. We've got sample letters to the editor and op-eds that you can copy from the website and add some detail about your county and then submit it to your local papers. Uh, we've also got social media posts, uh, sample tweets, and social media graphics that you can use to help spread the word about this issue online. So we've got this toolkit, but why should our members use this? Ryan, can you talk, us, talk a little bit about why it's important for the state legislators and the governor's office still to hear from our members about yeah. this issue? That's a great question, Tom. You know, I, I don't think everyone fully appreciates the volume of material and advocacy that comes to the front door of a state lawmaker, or the governor for that matter. They are constantly bombarded by social media, by phone calls, by emails. It's really critically important, though, for our members who are in a little bit of a unique situation. They have a little bit of an upper hand, right? Because chances are you probably know your local assembly member or senator very well. And why is that? Because you're a local government leader in their community. So your voice has a little extra emphasis compared to some others that might be out there, especially special interest groups in other parts of the state. So it, it's critical for you to be engaging with your local state legislators. They need to hear the noise from county officials. They need to be calling me saying, Ryan, tell your members to stand down. That's what I want to be hearing from state lawmakers. I want there to be so much noise out there that, that they are forced to fix this in the final budget. I mean, we're talking about $625 million on a recurring basis. That is unsustainable for any county, regardless of size, to consume that large of a cost shift. That's why it's so important. You've got to visit costshiftcountdown.com. Use the toolkit that Tom just mentioned. And if you run into a situation where you don't have an answer, come back to NISAC and tell us and we can help we can help triage and develop that for you. Squeaky wheel gets the grease, as they That's say. That's right. And as, yes. these, and as these legislators are trying, they're hearing from everybody, and they're trying to calibrate, you know, what is the most important thing for me to deal with? They've got to have your voice, your voice in their ear. Constantly. Uh, yeah. It's got to be in the front of their mind all the time. And, and a critical component of this, and, and I know for some of our members, this might not be an area that they're really comfortable in or haven't, you know, don't have a lot of experience in, but online advocacy in the form of social media, Twitter. Yeah, uh, it's it's not just the uh, you know uh, a space for 
for young people. No, <laughs> not is, anymore. Yeah, not anymore. It's a critical avenue for advocacy, and it's one of the most effective ways to get your name and your message in front of a state legislator. When they see you know, their county board chair or their county executive or their a county legislator from their district is tweeting at them about yeah. this issue, they'll see it. Uh, absolutely, Tom. And, and I want to underscore that. Social media has changed. The, the emphasis that state lawmakers place on reading Twitter or reading Facebook when they're sitting in the chambers waiting for votes, when they're sitting in their offices in between meetings, it's, it's really important for you to be engaging with them on social media. So it's not that hard. If you don't have a Twitter account, all you do is you go to twitter.com, you click create new account, enter an email address, you pick a name, Follow us, follow at NYS counties, follow your local assemblyman, your local senator, follow the governor, and start posting those sample tweets that we provided on the website. Just copy and paste them from the website into your Twitter account and send them out, and that'll get you started. You can also find us, go to our profile, and retweet the things that we're sharing. All this stuff will help increase the volume of this issue, and not only once we get this issue dealt with, you know, we'll always have more things that we're advocating for at NYSAC. There's never a shortage of issues to advocate. (laughs) So that's my final plea for our listeners as the uh, resident Twitter guy here at NYSAC. (laughs) Um, But it really does make a difference. Ryan hears it all the time. Yeah. Uh, So that we're getting close to the end of our conversation. Is there anything else you want to add before we, uh, before we wrap it up for today? Yeah. You know, Tom, it's while Medicaid is a complex issue, this really boils down to something quite simple at the end of the day. We're talking about $625 million, and we have a chart on the costshiftcountdown.com website which shows you your county-by-county impact of that cost shift. So for Albany County, it's $8.1 million. That's the financial hit, but it's more than that. It's, and as a local leader, this is where you can chime in where I'm not able to at NYSAC. You can speak to the exact way to make up that gap. How much of a tax increase are we talking about? What kind of programs are being cut? Are you going to have to lay off staff? What departments are discretionary that you fund at the county level? You know, you you should be having those hard conversations with your state legislators because when they start hearing about how many county employees might have to be laid off, or how much of a property tax increase that looks like, or what discretionary programs like parks and recreation, senior meals, that are going to have to be shut down and closed, that impacts everyone. It impacts the quality of life of their constituents, which are our constituents. That's what it boils down to. That's really what we're talking about here. And counties almost across the board, have done an incredible job of holding property taxes low over the Very last much so. 10 years or so. Yeah. I mean, and ever since the cap was it was enacted. And those state legislature, legislators have gotten pretty used to not having to hear from their constituents about huge property tax increases like they did in the battle days. And why is that the case? Because they put in the Medicaid cap in 2015. This completely undermines that effort. That's why we need to reject it. Exactly. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Thanks, Ryan, for joining us. Uh, again, for our listeners and our, anybody watching this video, visit costshiftcountdown.com. And uh, be sure to stay tuned. 
for more updates and information on this issue and other issues as we make it through the rest of this budget season and uh, legislative session. Thanks for again having me, Tom.